Uh, take your Bibles, and we're, we're going to look at a couple of passages of, of Scripture uh, this morning. But you're going to need Old Testament. You're going to need Psalms, and you're going to need another passage in First Chronicles. So just get ready in your Old Testament. We're going to be looking at Job. So I guess Job probably to start. Find Job. I think just do that if you're visiting with us this morning. Good to have you with us. Uh, it's mid-January. It's my first time back in the pulpit, really, uh, in the new year. And we're going to be beginning a series for you of, uh, of six weeks. Um, just to bring you up to date, the EGC Forward Committee, when it did all of its work a little while ago, one of the components that it focused on was finances and financial management, those kinds of things, tithing and offerings and all that goes with that debt. And so it came up as, as a priority amongst the congregation. Uh, and you were that congregation, those of you that were polled and interviewed or talked about or filled out the surveys. So we thought it would be helpful. It's the beginning of a new year. It's kind of when we talk about finances, those kinds of things. Income tax time will be coming up. Those of you that are in the business know that this is going to be your busy time of the year for the next five months, Ash. Yeah, six. God bless you. And so we're going to help you with some of that. So I, I, I guess to say that uh, really the majority of this comes at your request, so we hope that it's helpful to you. Here's what we're going to be dealing with, the six things that we're going to be dealing with. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the source. Who is the source of all that we have? We're going to be moving along to the topic of money is not evil, and it's okay to talk about it. Money can do a lot of good. And so, uh, you know, the love of money may be a root of all kinds of evils, but money itself is not intrinsically uh, evil. Uh, we're going to be looking at debt and how debt not only affects you uh, financially, but how it affects you in your relationship with those in your home and also with your relationship with the Lord and just the stress that that puts on you and how that can become a real problem in your own life. Then we're going to encourage you in the grace of giving and talk about exceeding old covenant expectations. Generosity kills greed. We're going to encourage you to be generous and to fight the idols of, of greed. I don't know if you notice this, but in your New Testament, it talks about idolatry a lot. But in the New Testament, it's not talking so much about, you know, these fake statues that the Israelites used to worship back in the good old days. But one of the things that it really uh, attacks and admonishes us about is, is greed. And so we're going to understand that generosity kills greed in our lives. And then we're going to encourage you to sow encourage you to sow your seed, uh, that God has blessed you to be a blessing, and that while you bless others, we know that God will continue uh, to bless you. And so we're beginning this today looking at the source of everything that we have. Who is the true owner of all that we have? So uh, let's begin. I've got a quote for you right up top. Uh, and so just go to the very first quote, uh, Nick, where it talks about kids own uh, nothing. I appreciate the 50 there. You don't have my slides, really? Oh, I must have been in Florida. So let me read it for you. Uh, actually, I did it all before I left. I probably just forgot to hit send. Let me read the quote by Jonathan Carroll. It says this, Kids own nothing. Everything is either promised, borrowed, longed for, or exaggerated. Kids own nothing. Everything is either promised, borrowed, longed for, or exaggerated. 
I remember that for, for the early part of my life, I remember that I didn't own a thing. Neither did you, by the way. For the formative years of your life, you didn't own a thing. Uh, you may have had toys, and you may have had a room that you slept in, and your parents clothed you and all that. But, I mean, at the heart of it, it wasn't yours. It was your parents, and it was the stuff that your parents gave to you. But as you began to grow and you began to make some money, we called it allowance back in the good old days, and you began to buy stuff, you also recognize this, right? That the money that you were buying stuff with was really the money that your parents gave you for the chores that you were probably supposed to do at home for free in the first place. But mom and dad were maybe trying to teach you a little bit of stewardship, how to manage your money, how to put a little bit away, and so they gave you some stuff. But for the most part, our parents took care of everything we needed. Food and clothes and all of that stuff. So I got thinking about this before I left. I got, well, when was, when was the first memory? What was the first thing that I really remember being something that I purchased with money that I earned that didn't come from my parents? And I remembered the first and coolest thing, an emphasis on the word cool, was a, it was a 292 moto ski. Throw that up for me. I know that's there. Look at that beauty. Orange. Isn't that beautiful? I don't hear a lot of oohs and ahs. Skidoo eventually bought Moto Ski out. That's why they, they went the way of the dinosaur. But I want you to know that that was probably the first and coolest thing I owned. It was a 1975 292cc Moto Ski. And if you really let her rip on a good day on a lake with not too many bumps, it'd get up to about 37 miles an hour. <laughs> it was a rocket. Let's just pause for a minute. <laughs> Who makes an orange snow machine? It really is ugly. <laughs> but it was the first thing that I, now mind you, I didn't own it brand new. I owned the 1975 292 CC Moto Ski in 1978. But the thing ran like a charm. You could not kill that beast. The second neat thing that I remember buying was the stereo system that's a requirement for university students. Yeah, you guys, some of you know. If you're going to spend a number of years in university, you need a survival kit. And one of the survival kits that you need is a really good stereo system. I can still remember going up and down the streets of downtown Sudbury in the late 70s, so just get that picture in your mind, looking for a stereo system that basically would be five times bigger than the little dorm room that I was living in. And I found it, and it was awesome on the weekends. One criticism from those that I roomed with and those down the hallway is being a university student on a monthly budget that was, you know, somewhat limited. I had a hard time buying new albums. Remember albums? I had a hard time buying new albums back in those days. So on the weekends, the guys on my floor would hear a lot of the same stuff 
over and over and over again. But I want you to know, as bad as the music was, it was loud. Then I got saved. And I decided that, uh, you know, get my degree from university and, and go off to Bible college. Well, during those days, it's now the early 80s. And those of you that are old enough to remember the early 80s, remember that there was really a, a downturn in the economy in the early 80s. It was really tough going. And so I had summer jobs, but I didn't have the great summer jobs that I had in the past. So I needed to make some coin in order to pay for tuition for, for the Bible college year. So guess what I did? I did the grown-up thing, and I sold the stereo system. Yeah, thank you for saying wow. I sold the stereo system in order to help pay for my first tuition at Bible college. And as my dad and mom used to say, easy come, easy go. Now, now that I'm a, an, an, an adult, I have all kinds of possessions. Most of them aren't really cool. Most of them are just practical and growing up. In fact, some are downright lame. But what I did get for Christmas was the Bluetooth system that you can slap on the wall in your, in your shower and play music from your phone or even uh, or answer the telephone. Now, what I could not figure out, and I will get somebody in the church that's a better engineer than I am, I cannot get that sucker to stick to the wall. Every time I... It just down and down, and sometimes it fools me for about a minute and then down. So I got, it, I got it in the little rack now that we have hanging down. I got it all in the little rack. I haven't used it yet, but it's, it's the, the next coolest or the only cool thing really that I have now. But I own stuff. I own stuff. I make my own money and I own stuff. I'm not like that kid anymore that didn't own anything, had to depend on my parents for everything. You know, one of the other things that I've noticed, though, now that I have more stuff is I, and I think it's related, maybe it's just an age thing, but I think it's related. Now that I have more stuff, I seem to worry about the stuff more. When I had no stuff and my mom and dad were providing everything for me and there was never a day that I didn't have anything, uh, everything prepared for me. So I never worried about anything. I always knew I was going to get up the next morning. Breakfast would be there. Lunch would be there. Supper would be there. I knew there would be a car to take me here, there, or anywhere. There was always clothes, those kinds of things. My goodness, my parents even took us on vacation once in a while. Everything was always there. I don't remember ever going to bed at night when I was young, wondering where the next thing was going to come from and if it was going to be there. It always was. But now that I'm older and I have stuff, I, I tend to worry a little bit about the stuff. I never gave meals, clothes, or transportation a second thought, but, but now I give all of those things a second thought. And there seems to be this urge to, to own more stuff. Our TVs, our, our radios, our, our internets. I mean, you know what it's like, right? You click on something, you look at something, and the next thing you know when you click on the next thing, or you know, you've got the website bringing up something that you just looked at and telling you now that it's on sale at this store for this amount of money. And you're like, well, how do they do stuff like that? Can they read my minds? And no, it's technology. They're tracking you. But I mean, it's just interesting, right? They're always bombarding you with... You, you, you need stuff. Get some more 
stuff and then we see some stuff that we'd like to have so off to work we go if you're younger it's mcdonald's you start off with your first job at mcdonald's or perhaps some of the other retail places and you you earn and you buy and we get into the cycle of making money spending money making more money spending more money and then sometimes we find that we 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 spend more than we make and then we create even more stress we seem to create wants and desires. We have stuff, but we, we, we are told that we don't have all of the stuff that we need or that we can upgrade to, to better stuff. And then some of us fall into the trap that something we purchased for a year or two ago, we're still paying for today. And we may not even own the stuff anymore. So I've likened it to what I call a possession obsession. I must have it. I own it, it's mine, I worked hard for it, nobody gave me anything, and I'm a self-made person. It's mine, I earned it, nobody can tell me what to do with it, I'm a self-made person. Well, let's test some of that thinking. Job chapter 41, verse 11. Job 41, verse 11. Gave you a few minutes a little while ago to find Job. It's not a book that everybody reads. Early in your Old Testament, lots of chapters, ancient book. We always think about Job's and his trials and his tribulations and that the devil took everything away from him, killed his family. That's what we think about when we think about Job. But there's all kinds of other good stuff in there. But Job deals with the issue of source. Job deals with the issue of ownership. In broad terms, we'll get more specific shortly. Job, quoting the Lord, says this. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Who has a claim against me, God says, that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. In other words, is God a debtor to anybody? Generally, when we are confronted with possession, obsession, it comes from a number of misunderstandings. Pre-conversion thinking needs to be corrected by the word of God. That pre-conversion thinking is, is this. I must have it. I own it. It's mine. I work hard for it. Nobody gave me anything. And I'm a self-made person. Pre-conversion. Before you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's really easy to be focused on the stuff and my stuff and how I got my stuff. And it's my stuff to hang on to. And I work the old-fashioned way. I worked hard for it. It's mine. And then we start... Then we start reading scripture and we start going to church. And I think it's important to talk frankly about this, right? Because the church, the church does talk about finances. The church does talk about borrowing. The church does talk about debt. The church does talk about tithes, 10%. Tithe meaning 10th, 10%. The tithe talks about offerings. Uh, we are raising a, a special missions offering in the next two months trying to get $10,000 beyond our normal support for our global workers 
to do special projects in the Dominican Republic. And uh, of course, we also help out uh, Honduras this year as well. And, and so money is talked about, finances are talked about, and it becomes a deeply personal thing. You know, there, we always talk about things that we shouldn't ought to talk about, right? Uh, politics and, and finances and those kinds of things because they, they are deeply held beliefs about why we think the way we do about those things. And sometimes it raises up emotional angst in us or passion in us when we're talking about those things. Sometimes we, we don't want to listen to other people's ideas. But in this case, we're looking at what does the Scripture say. So if you're a brand new Christian, you're a brand new Christ follower, and you're starting to read the Bible, and the Bible is renewing you through the transforming of your mind that it talks about in Romans 12. And the Bible talks to us about the stuff we have and where we got it. And the first principle, and this is why I started with this, the first principle is, well, where does it all come from? Does it all come from simply your hard work? You got a good education, or you learned a trade, and, and, and you over the years have, have built up a reputation and your job or your expertise demands a certain amount of hourly pay or weekly pay. Uh, it, it demands some kind of stipend. And so you've worked hard for that. And with that money now that you've been able to bless your family, bless yourself with all kinds of stuff, and we get into this thinking that it's all mine and I worked for it. And nobody has the right to tell me or talk to me about what I should do with all of mine stuff. But the first principle the Bible then deals with this is, is about source, is about ownership. So pre-conversion thinking needs to be corrected by the word. There is always the concern that if I give away some, that I won't have enough for myself. And that's a real concern with people. Government already takes a certain amount. If I give some away, even for worthy means, then maybe I won't have enough. There's always the issue, and we'll de dive into this far more deeply in weeks to come. There's always the issue of greed. Now, as, as Christ followers, we don't see ourselves as, as greedy people or as, as hoarders of stuff. We don't sometimes. But it is amazing, however, that when we start talking about these kinds of things, again, the passion or the feelings that we have about that, and some of that is protectionism driven from greed. Don't ask me to give away my stuff. Many times, misunderstandings of biblical principles. Those of you that have been around the church, around the Bible, uh, longer than some others, understand Old Covenant practices versus New Covenant. And there's that tension that deals there. And then sometimes thinking this, well, I come to church to be blessed and to be encouraged and to be helped and to get through a tough week. And I, I'm not always comfortable when I go to church that the church is talking about this. And now, Brent, you just mentioned that you're going to be focused on this for some time. But the best way to overcome some of these fears and some of these misunderstandings is to understand the biblical principles of what God says to us about our stuff. He says that he is the source and the owner of all the stuff. Read again for yourself, Job 40 and verse 11. But I want to go deeper than that. That is not, that is not step one. Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So into the New Testament, 
maybe about halfway, not quite halfway into your New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Let's get away from what you have. Let's talk about who owns you. Now, again, what? Brent, we know you study history a little bit. Slavery ended a long time ago, right? What do you mean, who owns me? Nobody owns me. I live in Canada. Self-determination. I do my own thing. I come and go as I please. Yeah, there's laws to follow, but I, I come and go as I please. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul says this to the Christ follower. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Pause. You are not your own. When you were younger, some of us, some of you that were perhaps chafing at, uh, at the rules and regulations that your parents had in your home, couldn't wait to get out of the house to go do your thing. You were tired of living under mom and dad's rules and regulations and so on and so forth. You couldn't wait to get out on your own. And so some of us left even prematurely. We weren't ready to go out on our own and emotionally or financially, but we wanted out of the house. We wanted to, to determine our own path, our comings, our goings, all that kind of stuff. We wanted to be free to do our own thing. We felt in a sense that our parents owned us. And so we had to break the chain. And so we go out and we're on our own now, right? Nobody's telling us what to do. But the Bible says as a Christ follower that now that you have been saved, and again, Pastor Adam led us in worship today and followed that up with some fine thoughts about what Christ has done for us, right? That he's died on the cross for us, that the price of our sins have been paid for, that we owe our salvation to him. The Spirit of God now lives within us. We are born again by that Spirit of God. Everything we are, whoever we are, everything that we now are as a Christ follower is because of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? Everything we are. And Paul says this, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. In other words, we are not independent of God. God calls the shots. In every aspect of our life, God calls the shots. God says here, if you're a Christ follower, you've been bought with the precious blood of the Lamb. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. Jesus' sacrificial death and his shed blood on the cross. And so now we belong to him. In fact, the Apostle Paul in a number of epistles uses a word doulos or douloi. And it means love slave. In other words, we are willing slaves of Christ to do whatever it is that God calls us to do because we love him. Back in the good old days when the Bible college used to name its graduating class, my class of 1984 was Dulos. We were love slaves. We would do whatever it was for Jesus Christ. Whatever he called us to do, the whole idea is that we were willing to sacrifice it because we realized we were not our own. We were bought at as a price. So I'm not my own. I'm not independent of God. I don't do whatever I want because I'm an adult now. Remember the song? Those of you that remember the 80s? It doesn't matter. Jesus is my boss. Jesus owns me. Jesus is my savior. 
Jesus is my Lord. Now digest that, because that isn't always comfortable for some. What do you mean he owns me? Well, you wouldn't be a Christ follower. You wouldn't be forgiven. Craig, when he prayed, talked about Jesus and eternal life. You wouldn't have any of that if it wasn't for Christ. So we're his. One of the first things you need to settle when you come to Christ isn't just the fact that, well, I'm glad I'm saved, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, and I'm glad God's going to be there to help me. You don't live independently of Christ. You have to understand this, that I'm his. I belong to him. Now, let me help you maybe suffer that better. As a married couple, I think maybe even in these days and age, this day and age, you know, when a married couple's talking to other people, we don't mind saying, you know, I belong to her and she belongs to me. We don't mind that. We know that that doesn't mean that she owns me or I own her. We know that there's no, like, chattel or property. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying we belong to each other. We're committed to one another. We love one another. We're there for one another, thick and thin, for better, for worse, the sickness and, and health. Right, Martin and Les? Just got married not that long ago. Right? We don't mind saying that. And I don't mind saying this. I belong to Jesus. I don't mind saying that. I'm a 58-year-old man who's, you know, got way more years behind them than in front of them now. But I don't mind saying Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my boss. I don't mind saying that, well, when we're making decisions that, that we, we think of the spiritual factor and we talk to Jesus about it or we look for scriptural principles and we pray about things because what matters isn't just what Karen and I want to do, it's what, what Jesus wants us to do. And whether you've been saved 30 years or 13 years or 13 minutes, that should be your number one priority is what would Jesus want me to do? And in this context, with my stuff, Understanding that we've already been told in Job 40 and 11, it's, it's not your stuff. My dad, God bless him, he's been gone now about eight or nine months. My dad had three sons that would borrow his tools. Two of them knew what they were doing with them, just occasionally I needed a wrench. And they would, go dis they would disappear. It's like we, like we had a magic trick at our house. His tools would disappear. By the way, Darren, thinking of that, I've got a wrench that I brought that you own now. I need to replace that. So my brother Brian, who was handy, still is handy, my brother Barry, who is handy, would borrow my dad's stuff, and it would, it would end up in their toolboxes. And it would never make their way home. And then my dad would say to them, hey, I think, you know, you got a Crescent, or hey, I think you got a Phillips, or let's go Canadian. Hey, I think you got a Robertson. You know, I mean, you, you got some of my stuff. And they would do this. Well, how do you know it's your stuff? Like, maybe it's my stuff. So my dad started, and yeah, you, you should see, Michelle, how that went over with my dad. Yeah. So my dad started to engrave his initials in everything that could be engraved. K E H. So that when you were going through your toolbox, you would see K E H and you would know immediately, well, that's not my stuff, that's my dad's stuff. And apparently I did take my dad's stuff home, right? My dad did that not because he's a lunatic or was a lunatic, just he's tired of his kids taking stuff who could easily afford their own stuff. So he started putting his name down. Well, let's think about it this way everything, 
that you have, and you yourself, in a sense, has this invisible engraving, J-E-S-U-S. All your stuff. Bible talks about, about we as, as Christ followers, as, as, as the people of God being engraved on his hands and on his heart. So it's not really a, a foreign concept even to the scriptures. Look that up. If you're bored this afternoon, dig that out. Old Testament. So we belong to God. So if I belong to God and I have all my stuff, where does my stuff belong? To God. To whom does it belong? It belongs to God. Job 40.11, who has claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. The English word there, everything, that is translated from the, the Hebrew, whatever it is, means exactly what it says everything because sometimes we don't mind sharing right you're taught in kindergarten share so I have stuff but I don't mind sharing some of my stuff and as we mature we get generally more comfortable with sharing our stuff sometimes when we're in kindergarten or at the daycare and we've got a toy that we really like and another little boy or another little girl comes along and they want to take the toy that we're playing with that doesn't even belong to us that actually belongs to the daycare but it's ours now because we're playing with it and they want to come and take it I and mean, it's crazy the mayhem that can happen at a daycare amongst three-year-olds police have been called And very young, we understand this, it's my stuff and nobody else can have it, but the daycare teacher and mom and dad say, hey, little Brent, it's okay to share your stuff. So we do first, we do it first, but it's kind of grudgingly. We let the little kid have it, but we're not happy about it. Daycare teachers are smart, moms and dads are smart, and they try to give you another little toy over here that will distract you. But the whole time you're playing with this, which you didn't play with in the first place. If you wanted to play with that, you would have played with that, but you wanted to play with that, and he has that now. So you're kind of doing this. <laughs> longing for what was supposed to be your stuff. But God says none of it's our stuff. Who has claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. This teaches us this, that God is a debtor to no one and that God owes us nothing. Of course not. God owns it all so he can owe no one anything. If it's all yours, if you're the source of it all, then it's all yours. You're not a debtor to anybody. You don't owe anybody anything. Anything that you loan or give away is by grace. It's a gift. It's a privilege. It's an honor because it's not our stuff. It's his stuff. Or in this case, it's his stuff. Well, let's go deeper. Let's go to 1 Chronicles 29, 3 to 14. David's getting ready. King David's getting ready to build the temple. And because of time, I'll, I'll try to move through this a little bit more quickly. But he's building the temple, and they need resources to build. It's a temple. It's going to cost a lot of money. So David quoted as saying this, Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, which is to be built, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. So he's given 
kind of the resources of the kingdom to the temple. But now he's talking about his own stuff. And he says this, verse 4, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 4. 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and for the silver work, and for all the work that will be done by the craftsmen. Now who is willing to concentrate themselves to the Lord this day? So David says this, look, I've allotted so much from the kingdom, and now I'm giving so much from my own stuff. And he's doing that in order to challenge the people to do their best with their stuff. David says, look, I'm not going to ask you to give unless I'm willing to give. That's hypocritical. And I'm not going to ask you to be generous unless I'm willing to be generous. So David lays out all that he's willing to do. And then it says the leaders of the families, the officers, the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, and the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave, gave, oh, there's so much in here. First of all, it's the next tier of leadership. It's the next set of leaders who are influencers, who are examples to, to more people. And it says that they gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 uh, derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 of talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of uh, Jehiel, uh, the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of the leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced. They gave what would be today millions and millions and millions of dollars towards the work of the Lord there in today's dollars. But what you will notice is if you continue to read, and we don't have time, but what you'll continue to read is this acknowledgement by David by saying this, I'm giving what's, what's it's not mine anyways. He said, God, the only reason why I can give all of this silver and gold and all of this, like literally in, in, in hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in today's, today's coinage. He says, the only reason why I'm able to do that is because you blessed me in the first place. David's basically saying this, I'm just giving away what's yours for a specific purpose. It's not mine in the first place. It was never mine to hoard or to hold on to or just to feather my own nest or to make my life comfortable. I'm willing to give it away. And so he does. He gives it away. The Bible simply tells us this in 1 Chronicles 29. If you read from verse 3 all the way to the end in Job chapter 40 verse 11, that God owns everything. Everything. Now, again, I like for you, when I say stuff like that, I like for you to pause and to think a little bit about that. Do you believe that? I know I've shared some passages of Scripture with you. I know one that's explicit that says it. The other one, David eventually gets around to saying it. God owns everything. Everything under the sun, and including the sun, has an invisible barcode that says, God's the owner. Everything under the sun, and including the sun, has an invisible barcode on it that says, God's the owner. Everything. Not one big thing, not one small thing. 
David goes on and he says this. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, Praise be to you, Lord. Chapter 29, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. The God and Father of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Guess where this takes us, folks? It takes us right back to my initial quote. Remember when you were a kid, what did you own? You owned absolutely nothing. Let me read it for you once again. Kids own nothing. Everything is either promised, borrowed, longed for, or exaggerated. I understood that as a kid. But here I am now, I'm an adult. And what do I own? The Bible tells me I own as much as I did when I was five. What? Are you kidding me? I mean, after all of those hours of work over the years, all of that studying all of the stuff that goes with the job, you're telling me, Pastor, that after all of that, I still own nothing? I think you're wrong. I, I live in a nice house. I got stuff in my garage. I've got a beautiful property. I got a pool in the backyard. I know I got money in the banks. I, I got a tax-free account. I got a long-term interest account. I got a GIC account. I got a checking account. I got my, you know, long-term pension savings account. I got all kinds of stuff. Pastor, I could show you the paperwork. I got all kinds of stuff. Well, as a Christ follower, if you understand the Bible well, the Bible tells you this, that the Lord has blessed you in many ways and you may be a steward of a great many things, but you and I still owe. And if I'd sent Nick the slide. Can you see it? Craig, let me just. <laughs> Hang on, buddy. Zero. We still own nothing. Again. You may be a great steward of many things. And God, if you have many things, my guess and understanding is this, is that God has given you all that stuff because he trusts you with it. He thinks you're a good steward. He wouldn't give it to somebody who he didn't think could manage it well. But a steward owns nothing. God gives it to us, and then we say to God, what is it that you want me to do with this? And God will say this, well, the vast majority of it, Brent, you need to take care of yourself, provide for yourself, and to pay your bills, to take care of your future. But there's another portion that you need to learn to invest in kingdom things. 
And remember, Brent, when I ask you to do that, I'm not asking you to invest your money because I owe what? I have what? I got zero. It's mine. And I'm asking you to take what I have blessed you with, that you are steward with, that you can invest in kingdom things so that I can do more good and you will be a part of that. But don't ever think for one moment that you're giving away your stuff because you don't have any stuff. Let me get deep on you. St. Francis de Sales says this, and I close, my child. Our possessions are not ours. God has given them to us to cultivate that we may make them fruitful and profitable in his service. And so doing, we shall please him. And this we must do more earnestly than worldly men. By worldly men, he means people who are unsaved, people who are not Christ followers. For they look carefully after their property out of self-love, and we must work for the love of God. Let's pray.